podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast, is proudly sponsored by The Terrace, the home of retro and fan culture sports merchandising. Check out their range of Forest merch by visiting theterracestore.com or visit them on social media. The 1865 Match Report. Welcome to the 1865 Match Report with me, Rich Ferraro, on the day that Nottingham Forest came from behind to beat Hull City 2-1 at the City Ground on a murky and grey day. Uh, Forest did not make any changes to their starting lineup, much to my consternation. I was expecting Tobias Figueredo to come into the back three and Ryan Yates to move back to midfield. But they lined up with the same um, starting lineup, so it was Yates in the middle of a back three again, Colback and Garner in the middle of the park, and Jordi Osei Tutu playing at left wing back. And uh, that will be important in a few minutes. Now, Baz, I'm joined by you. you. You're at the match today. And before we even talk about any of the details of this particular match, just a thought. What with Christmas coming up and... Also, with COVID and the prospect of maybe, um, you know, people are worried about lockdowns and so on and so forth. How important was it that Forrest won today? I think it was very... One of the things with Steve Cooper's setup, and it's been a thing for us for a while, I think. I'm not a lot to the stats, but we seem to be a better away team. And that's partly because so much of our play is built to, to play on the counter. And that means when we're at home it often can be a little bit disappointing. Um, so I think it was very important for us to put on a, a, a show for the home fans. OK, and do you think that, I say, when the national mood is a little bit low and when we know that, you know, Christmas is coming and we don't know what's going to happen with Christmas, um, the next match is scheduled to be away on Boxing Day at Middlesbrough, so who mm-hmm. knows what's going to happen with that, but it's a long journey for the fans... So do you think, again, that idea of mood is, is very important, you know, that, that home win? Yeah, I think it is. And well, it doesn't even need to be necessarily a win, but it needs to be that coming away from the ground going, oh, that was brilliant, which certainly at the start of the season we just didn't have. Mm. And I would actually say that I think, bearing in mind the opposition hold, they've been on a good run of form. The last four matches, they've they've been sort of winning and drawing, they've... Similar to when Forrest started their their resurgence under Cooper, uh, so the, you know they're doing, they're in a good run of form. So it's important, I think, symbolically to get a win against teams like that as well. That's my that's my gut instinct. Yeah. Now let's talk about the match itself, because Forrest and in particular Jordi Tutu were blistering in the first half, weren't they? Um, I'd say that the entire game was defined by two moments and both those moments involved two of our players getting injured so the the very first moment happened probably five minutes into the game where one of their players raked Osetutu down the back of his leg Mm -hmm. and you could see he was struggling from that moment onwards but he still put in this amazing performance um so as you said we we lined up with this 3-4-3 formation with Yates at the bit in as a central center half um, I think this is possibly as well as I've seen Forrest play without causing their keeper loads of undue scares. Uh, like the style of football and everything about it was absolutely fantastic. But in particular, I think the reason Yates was playing instead of Figueredo is because 
the plan seemed to be whenever we were in possession, send one of the three centre-halves into their half to keep the pressure right on them. So the, so we had high numbers in there. We only ever had two back. And I think Figueredo just wasn't mobile enough to do that kind of thing. Mm. And the other thing that I was only listening on the radio, but the other thing that they said was uh, in terms of pace as well, um, Toby just... Toby's not a slouch, but he just wouldn't have had the set. He hasn't got the same legs as Ryan Yates, has he? No. So, and that brings me back to something that, that Steve Cooper said last week after the Swansea match, which is we know that if we drop Ryan back a little bit, we know what he can do. It's just he's doing it a little bit deeper on the pitch. So did that seem to... I think, yeah. I mean, the bloke next to me at the end of the game said Yates was the man of the match. Um, I could see that easy. Um, he, he was outstanding at centre-half, mm-hmm. and he was pretty good at, in midfield in the second half. But mm. the reason he went to midfield is, whatever, 35 minutes into the first half, um, Osso Tutu had been struggling for about 20 minutes. I mean, the people behind me was, every now and then, they were just saying, look, he's, he's, he's lost it, he's, he's gone, he's gone, his leg's gone. Mm. And eventually, um, he got replaced, Mighton came on instead, and we changed formation to a four-two-three-one. Yeah, so this this is key because just before I say two two went off, I mean the the thing that kind of tipped the balance, I suppose, was their their player managed to just ghost past him, and mm. like you say, his is he just gone, hasn't he? He had nothing nothing to offer, so they had to make the change. Now, two things. Number one, was it uh, were you surprised to see that then they were going to bring on Mighton, which would have necessity, which would have meant a formation change? Yes. Um, and because it's quite a bold move at nil nil, okay, you're at home, so you'd expect to take the initiative. But Cooper's teams always do whatever the formation. So that's the first question. Um, I was surprised uh, at first. I couldn't figure it out, and then I suddenly realised, all oh, right, he's changing to a back four. Um, but the reason it made sense was actually, as I said, we were playing this fantastic football but we weren't really forcing much out of their keeper. So I could see why Steve Cooper especially would want to say, right, we need to shake it up to, to make them, to give them something different to think about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it had consequences. <laughs> yes, exactly. So we saw Colback drop from midfield back to left back. We saw Yates move into the middle of the park and we saw Forrest play with a three of uh, Zinconagel, Johnson and Mighton behind Graben. Mm-hmm. So that 4-2-3-1, which we've seen many times before, but scarcely two, three minutes later, what uh, happened? Well, so, um, yeah, basically they, they hoofed a ball out. The Their guy, what, Potter Lewis? Lewis Le- Potter? Lewis Potter. Um, he ghosted behind Jed Spence and... I personally put it down to the formation change. The rest of our defence didn't know exactly where they should have been. They were still getting used to it. And so basically, once he got past Spence, he just had a free run on goal and slipped it in past Samba's uh, near post. Okay, so you've answered the question I was going to ask, which is how much is it down to that? And so do you think that's just one of those things when you're adjusting to a new formation, you need to kind of sort out your positioning, your communication, and they just hadn't done that yet? Yeah. So that was pretty much straight after the substitution yeah. as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, okay. it was pretty much the, yeah, the first play after. And I have to say, again, listening on the radio, but I had a little bit of a sinking feeling. Myself and Mrs F were both like, oh God, thinking that they played so well for 35, 40 minutes and then conceded the goal two minutes before half time, mm. um, going in 1-0 down. What was the mood in the ground? It was, um, yeah, pretty much that. I, I thought... 
because especially whatever the, the whatever two minutes we had left of the game, we didn't. It wasn't enough for us to build any sort of momentum, and so it, it felt like yeah, we've been deflated. Mm. Having said that, as well, one of the things we're going to talk about Steve Cooper and his, you know, his his tactics and his the way he is. We're going to talk about that in our monthly podcast, which is being recorded very soon. will be in your feeds next week. But one of the things that we have faith in is that when Forrest go in at half time, he's able to do something to lift the players. Oh, actually, one other thing that was very important just mm-hmm. before half time was Mighton mm-hmm. did get the ball and he beat about three um, whole defenders, mm-hmm. but he ended up at the corner flag. But in that little flash... He looked like a much more fired up and capable player than he has done in his other substitute appearances this season. Okay. And I, I noticed that, and mm. that's important in the second half, obviously. And of course, one of the more recent match reports that you and I had done together was after the Preston match, where Mighton started and he kind of flattered to deceive yeah. a little bit. So you sense that maybe that t- that little bit of time out of the firing line, making just five minute appearances here and there, you think he's a bit fired up yeah. from having been you know put out of the fire, yeah, yeah. out of the team. Okay, so half time comes and goes. When Forrest came out in the second half, could you did you get the sense that Cooper had you know g'd him up? Yes, there was. I think it was Johnson made a break down the right hand side, and put a cross in almost immediately. Um, you could see that Hull were g'd up as well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so it was, and I have to say, overall, it was probably for the neutral. It was probably a very entertaining game. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we did look fired up, and in, again. Um, Mighton was causing them all sorts of trouble down the left. Um, yeah. Before we come on to that, it's worth pointing out that Johnson and Graben looked like the players most likely to in the first half. They both had good chances, didn't they? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is it worth, you know, is there any kind of blame to ascribe there in terms of having not taken the lead in the first sort of half hour there or was, so? There was a point where I thought we're dominating this game and we're missing chances and we're going to come to regret that. So I wasn't, in that way, I wasn't surprised when we conceded. That's just the pessimism of a football fan. Though, yes, isn't absolutely. It? Okay. All right. So, um, but, but yeah, so some of the chances that we missed, there was one point I turned to the bloke next to me when Graben had skied it and hit Rose Ed and mm-hmm. I was like, he's getting good at that, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've seen that before. Yeah, um, but to be fair to Hull, they hit the bar or the post mm-hmm. several times. Mm. So in terms of chances, in, in good chances, they had better chances than we had. Mm. OK, so let's fast forward to the second half because your man, Mighton, he's made an impression in the in the sort of just 10, 10 minutes, you know, last few minutes of the first half, first few minutes of the second half, yep. and it paid dividends in the end. Now... Hull fans and Forest fans might have differing views on what happened here. So, yeah, so, again, so two pivotal moments, both injuries. So, Mighton comes in, cuts inside, takes two or three of them on, mm-hmm. beats them all with a lot of really, really fancy footwork and nice trickery, gets into the penalty area. Now, from when I was watching it in the stand, it looked to me like the Hull defender chopped him down and then Mighton stayed down and was obviously quite seriously hurt Mm -hmm. and it was a nailed on penalty having watched it back on YouTube now I'm not so sure it was a penalty yeah so we did just watch this um 
several times actually yeah. before we started recording and i should point out we're recording like an hour and a half after the match so um you know we we don't we've not seen any massive nailed on analysis of it uh, maybe quest will say something tonight but i think it's still a pen you think that Mighton's sliding and starting to go yeah, down before thought, the contact i thought he'd gone down and then the bloke landed on him okay so i think it's still a pen because not not that I want it to be a pen in terms of if it happened the other way round, but I think that in the modern interpretation of the rules, if you're a player, even if you're starting to go down, if there's contact, then the referee tends to give it for being late into the tackle slash excessive force. So I suspect that's what the ref gave. I also suspect that, you know, 23,000 people paying for a penalty may influence that decision. Well, actually, no, um, the reason as well is just before that, like two minutes before that, we had a corner and Yates was blatantly shoved over in the box. Um, mm-hmm. So and and the ref didn't give that one. Okay, now and then gave the the subsequent corner as a goal kick. Okay, so this right, we're not going to talk about referees today, no, nope. because we've talked about them plenty and uh, we're just repeating the same things. But what I would ask you is, does the penalty given today? go some way to redressing the balance for some of the penalties we haven't received earlier in the season? Or is that reaching too far? No, because I thought it was a nailed-on penalty in the ground. Mm. It's only when I watch a slow-motion replay that I thought it wasn't. Okay. Whereas the penalties that we haven't been given, you look at them and think that's a nailed-on penalty, and then the referee inexplicably doesn't give it. I'd like to see that Yates one again, because I thought that was a nailed-on penalty that we didn't get. Okay. Right. Okay, so two important things. Number one is that Alex Martin is injured. Um, He receives treatment for several minutes, which means there's a delay to the penalty. Now, against Preston, Lewis Grabben took a penalty, and I have to say, I've never seen him looking as confident about taking a penalty. You know, we always get a little bit nervous because his penalty record for Forrest hasn't been brilliant. And today, once again, like at Preston, against Preston rather, he looked really, really confident despite the long wait. Um, made no mistake from the spot. Good penalty, yeah? Very, very good penalty. Um, as well, the, um, the, their keeper got booked for protesting about the penalty, protesting about Mighton, protesting about the treatment, protesting about Graben. Mm-hmm. And so he got booked for it. Um, he was doing all sorts of stuff, chucking his gloves around and sp- Charging up and down the line, trying to put Graben off, and mm-hmm. yeah, rightly got booked for it. So, uh, yeah, it sounds like has he been taking lessons from Samba? Well, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so, good penalty. Yep. Then Mighton did actually have to come off, yep. which saw a, a big moment for a lot of Forest fans, which apparently was well well received by many Reds in the ground, which was the return to a red shirt of Mr. João Carvalho. If, yeah, the chance of Carvalho, as he, as people saw him warming up, uh, just echoed around the ground. Okay. Uh, just as the mist was rolling in from the Trent, it was oh. like a, a romantic moment. <laughs> and then it's worth pointing out, he didn't actually achieve that much. No. <laughs> um, but I think there's something that is really true before we come on to, to what, proved to be Forrest's winning goal, is that this match was, from what I could tell, a match for people who could run with the ball. And both Carvalho and Zinkenagel, who are more ball players, it's very easy for that kind of match to pass them by. So they might play a role in terms of their position in the team, but in terms of making things happen, it was a Mighton and Johnson kind of day, wasn't it? Well, um, as well, I think 
Hull were a very, very physical side and a lot of what they were doing was down the middle. So when we wanted space, it was on the on in the wide areas. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, yeah, Johnson and Mighton in particular yeah. um, made such a difference. Okay, so... Carvalho comes on, plays in number 10. Zinconogel moves to left wing. Zinconogel was remo- was uh, substituted a little bit later yep. on. We'll, we'll come on to that. Um, but in the meantime, Forrest take the lead. Talk me through the goal. Well, uh, Graman picks the ball up halfway line sort of area. Um, runs at their defenders. Again... It's just one of those. Uh, I always think of Graben as kind of an in the box kind of player. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like one of those who knows the right place to be at the right time. A poacher, yeah, a poacher. And this proved that he's not only he may be what thirty four, mm-hmm. but he's got a bit of pace left in his legs. He can take players on. He can dribble it. He took two defenders on, went outside them, and then put in a cross from the byline. So pr- run pretty much half the length of the pitch. Um, Brennan Johnson was at the far post. The way he took it on his chest is absolutely perfect, and it dropped down, and he just volleyed it into the to the um, into the net. It was really, really well taken goal. Excellent. So yeah, I mean, and um, if you go to, it sounds like a real match winning goal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, go on. Well, so what I was going to say, I said to the bloke next to me, I'd have quite a conversation with him today. Uh, <laughs> normally, he's quite quiet, <laughs> but I said to him. Um, Brennan Johnson's turned into one of those players who does nothing for 89 minutes and then wins you the game. Yes, which, as some of you may, some of you listeners may be aware, is also a conversation I had with Second Tier Podcast last week, which is that uh, you always want, actually, him and Zinkenagel, more often than not, you want them in your team because they might, they have that Matt Letizia syndrome, don't mm. they? Yeah. They might not do much, but when they do do something, it could potentially be a match-winning moment. And that's what we're looking for from Carvalho. But yeah, he but he's got to do it yet. <laughs> he's got to play to be able to yeah, do it. Yeah. In fairness, um, but it sounds as though Carvalho, all right, he, the game um, wasn't his kind of game. It sounds like he was get, trying to get stuck in. Yeah, he, he was. He was running a lot. Okay, then Zinconagel was withdrawn. Yep. So well, Forrest went back to a, a three four three again. Yeah. So what what was happening was um, after we scored, basically whole. I think they made a substitution pretty much straight away. Yeah. And they put a big man up front and then they just physically battered us. Yeah, they went direct. Yes. And so in that sense, it makes sense to put someone like Toby yeah. on who's a head it, kick it, yeah. centre-half. So what it meant, yeah, so we were went 3-4-3 um, three, three, um, and what that meant was up front we had Carvalho in the number nine role mm-hmm. and Johnson and Graben on the wings. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the three centre-halves with Toby in the middle. Yeah. Um, so what you're saying is essentially Forrest of the Manchester City of the championship <laughs> yeah. in the sense of Gabriel Jesus, who's nominally a number nine, plays out on the wing with maybe Grealish or Foden <laughs> yes. playing as a false nine. So that's what we had. Yeah, exactly. Um, apart from, yeah, those front three barely saw the, the ball at all because mm-hmm. it was all whole for the last, whatever, 15, 20 minutes. Okay. Uh, they were just peppering our box with, with crosses. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a proper physical battle. Um, Spence and especially Colback had their work cut out for them and to be honest I was quite relieved especially they said six minutes uh, mm-hmm. injury time and we were like six minutes not remembering that Mighton had been injured yeah, for that yeah. long um, I was quite relieved to, to make it through to the final whistle okay um, and it's worth pointing out that at the final whistle whether it be relief or jubilation 
the mood was very, very strong around the city ground, and Steve Cooper was milking it as yeah, usual, wasn't yeah. he? Well, one of the things I like about Steve Cooper is he knows how to play to the crowd, mm-hmm. and he does it before every game, he does it after every game, uh, he does it in all his interviews, um, and I've said it before, but we've not had a manager like that since Billy Davis. Yeah, so I think he did four fist pumps to the A block. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know he's really he really knew how to kind of take that moment. Oh, speaking of which, quick word for the A block. My favourite chant of the moment of this season has been um, "A block is magic, Bridgeford is shit." <laughs> and there's nowhere we can go from there other than to say thank you very much to Baz. Forest are teetering outside the playoffs and we will talk about that more in our monthly podcast which will be recorded very soon if you're listening to this on saturday or sunday then please check out our twitter polls because we'd love to hear your opinions and that will be in your feed in the week uh thank you very much to baz thank you to forest for winning again and thank you to you listener we'll be back soon Podcast Network.